this is the uh, this is uh, November fifteenth, twenty twenty, and um, my first Tay show since the election. And uh, the topic I settled on today was inspired by a brief interview I saw of uh, <clears throat> by, by Stephen Colbert interviewing Michael Moore. Uh, Colbert and Michael Moore are both Catholics, uh, and they were talking about Biden and his uh, uh, election win. And they mentioned in in their conversation that he's not Biden is not just a Catholic, but a communicant Catholic. So I turned to my wife, and <clears throat> who was raised Catholic, went to uh, Catholic girls' schools until she was in her teens, and I asked what that was, and uh, she said it's someone who goes to communion every day, <clears throat> who takes communion every day. I went from there and uh, looked up uh, for further <laughs> clarification what communion is, and uh, um, well, I knew that it was uh, where you you go up to near the altar and the priest uh, gives you a, uh, a wafer you take, <clears throat> he places on your in your mouth. Uh, what the uh, Catholic Church teaches is, is that uh, Jesus is present in the consecrated communion wafer and wine, also known as the Eucharist which means Thanksgiving coming up next week. It means uh, Thanksgiving each time parishioners receive the wafer and wine. <clears throat> so the idea is that the bread and wine become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus according to Catholic doctrine. I found this quite impressive that uh, Biden doesn't just uh, subscribe to Catholicism, but that he puts his feet into it, and his mouth, I guess, uh, that he, he goes every day to take communion. That's a, a level of commitment. Never mind the religion. It's a level of commitment to one's faith that you don't see very often. Um, we can see then, we can see communion as embodying one's faith. Uh, that Jesus, the, uh, you become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus in doing it symbolically. And embodying one's faith is exactly what we in Zen are trying to do. We just uh, recited the Hakuin chant <clears throat> in which we say, this very body, the body of Buddha. There it is. That in our original nature, uh, there is no uh, difference uh, between ourselves 
and uh, our Buddha nature, really. At uh, introductory workshops, I usually uh, tell the story of the Buddha's enlightenment as the sort of the genesis of our whole Buddhist tradition, of which Zen is a part for those who want to make it part of the Buddhist tradition. That is, those who want to um, to recognize how much Buddhism there is in Zen, even just just the simple practice of uh, breath practice. Uh, it's it, it's what we get out of. Zen practice is reflected in the teaching of the Dharma. And at workshops, uh, I will often uh, quote what Shakyamuni Buddha cried out under the Bodhi tree uh, when he came to his great enlightenment 2,500 years ago in India. I'll repeat it here. Fundamentally, all beings are Buddha, endowed with wisdom, compassion, and virtue. But because people's minds are inverted through delusive thinking, they fail to perceive this. There it is. That's what all of the streams of Buddhism, Zen and Tibetan Buddhism and others, have in common that that all of us uh, have this Buddha nature, uh, but because of uh, our our the way, because of our conditioning, because of our uh, misconceptions, we don't realize it. We don't realize our true nature. And then I'll sometimes say um, that this this teaching of our originally enlightened nature is sort of the, the 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 opposite of the doctrine of original sin, Catholicism's doc, doctrine of original sin. Now I I usually leave it at that just to keep it simple and not get bogged down in doctrinal uh, discussions. But it, it is an oversimplification because even as we even even as enlightenment reveals that all of us are innately enlightened, still we know from our own practice uh, that we have uh, these stubborn afflictions. We don't talk about sin in Zen or even in Buddhism, I don't think. It's a Western word. It's a Catholic word. We don't talk about sin, but we acknowledge that we are far from perfect in how we make our way through the world. Uh, So it's not like... uh, uh, this doctrine of original sin is completely alien to a Buddhist understanding of, of our own imperfections.
so <clears throat> uh, true nature, original nature, original mind, essential nature, essential mind, true self. These are all synonyms uh, for this reality. Here I struggle for words. Uh, for this reality that is beyond anything we can grasp through our senses or through our intellect. Um, now, the concept of true nature is one, according to my reading, is one that was not there in early Buddhism. In, uh, in early Buddhism, there was no such thing as true nature. It, it, it was a couple hundred, maybe a couple hundred years later, where this idea was introduced. Um, and writers have speculated, and this makes sense to me, have speculated that uh, it came out of a, of, of a recognition that many of us human beings um, need something more than just the doctrine of shunyata. Shunyata is emptiness. There's plenty, in early Buddhism, there's plenty about shunyata, uh, no self, uh, even if there wasn't about uh, true nature. Uh, it makes sense to me that uh, the doctrine of emptiness as the essential teaching of the Dharma the essential truth, uh, can sound awfully cold and abstract, emptiness. No, there's no God concept. We don't believe in God, but we do believe in emptiness. That's a, that's a tough one to sell to a lot of people. In fact, I usually don't even mention it in introductory workshops because it's so easily misunderstood. So then these great enlightened masters in India came up with the idea of true nature. But then that itself can be misunderstood as something that we have some uh, self-nature that is a unchanging... Um, an unchanging self. And, and there is no unchanging self. There's no little man in here, no little woman in there. So really, what, uh, what true nature means is no self. We, we just we just recited it in the Hakko and John. Our true self is no self. It's not that we're saying, yes, in our true self, we're good. In our true self, we're virtuous, we're compassionate, we're wise. No.
our true self, our true nature. Our true self is no self. Our own self is no self. <coughs> In uh, the Three Pillars of Zen, Yasutani Roshi says that Buddha nature means that all beings can become Buddha. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, Hakuin says, from the very beginning, all beings are Buddha. Oh, this is the danger of words. It can sound like, they sound contradictory, but, but they're not. That in our, essentially, we are all Buddha in that we have this potential to become, to actualize uh, this Buddha nature and live it. So we have the capacity to grow into this nature, this nature of compassion and wisdom and so forth. But we also have the capacity uh, to become other things. And uh, what those things are, one, one formulation of it is what we call the six realms of unenlightened existence. If you think of Buddha as enlightenment, our enlightened nature, then we also have the capacity to devolve to become any of these six realms, to fall into these six realms of unenlightened existence. So we can, we can uh, fall into uh, becoming fighting demons. These are the six traditional, there are Sanskrit words, I'm gonna leave them out of this uh, and just come up with the most common translation of those Sanskrit words. So we have the capacity uh, to become, uh, well, humans and uh, heavenly beings and fighting demons and animals and hungry ghosts and thirsty spirits and, yes, hell dwellers. So, we're, we're on a path, the Dharma, Zen, we're on a path through which we can evolve into true Buddhas, enlightened ones. We can also devolve. I couldn't help but... Uh, Think of our president, our current president, not the president-elect. Think of the, our current present president when uh, I was reviewing in my mind the uh, six realms of unenlightened existence. Um, I guess you could say that in a kind of superficial way, he knows the realm of heavenly beings. When you think of heavenly beings as uh, uh, those who 
live in great wealth and privilege. Um, but I think more of him as one of the lower ones. <laughs> um, yes, of course, human, because he has a human body-mind, but fighting demons, Ashuras, uh, they're called. Um, these are, I think, the way I understand the fighting demons realm, the realm of fighting demons, is a realm where uh, it's, it's always a matter of power. Who's on top? If you're not on top, then you're subservient. Uh, you can't you can't have it both. It's a it's a zero sum world. From endless struggle for dominance. That's a, that's a fighting demon. Um, there are the three lowest realms, the realm of animals. Um, we know that there's something animal-like about our current president. I'm going to just, I'm taking the gloves off today, folks. You know, four years I've been biting my tongue at this clown, this thuggish clown we have for a president, well, no one can now accuse me of trying to influence how you all vote. So let's, let's, let's call a spade a spade here. So the animal realm and the hungry ghost realm, this is, this is something you have to give our president credit for. Is, is he's a teetotaler. He doesn't, from every account I've ever read, uh, he forswore um, alcohol and drugs uh, decades ago. I guess he, they, the writers say that uh, he saw his brother died of alcoholism and he saw not just what it did to his brother, but he saw uh, the, the scorn and, the, and the, the vilification from their father, the brother's father. And... Uh, and so uh, it became a matter of uh, him wanting to avoid, avoid that at all costs. So no, he doesn't drink or, or take drugs, apparently, allegedly. Uh, but I tend to see the realm of hungry ghosts and thirsty spirits more as a realm of addictive behavior. And we know that our president is addicted to attention. He craves, he'll do anything to be at the center of everything and having people adore him. I don't think that's too much of a stretch to say that that's, that's his addiction, that's his drug and his and TV coverage. In uh, shows on the precepts in previous years i've I've missed it in, in cataloging the different ways we can be addicted I've uh, sometimes included uh, TV computers and TV well I think these computers are beyond him but uh, there are reports that he watches TV hours a day so in a way he qualifies as the realm to to dwell in the realm of hungry ghosts and thirsty spirits. But then the bottom, the bottom realm, 
the lowest in terms of suffering. Lowest is the realm of hell. I suppose we could debate whether Trump really experiences the suffering of hell. But uh, he may have at one time in his formative years uh, when, uh, I mean, he, he has to have suffered uh, some real damage uh, in his formative years to be as damaged now as, as he is. So most of these boxes we could tick off, these six realms of unenlightened existence for our current president, as we can, if we look hard enough, as we can for all of us, but I think not as in as uh, dramatic and um, wildly extreme uh, symptoms as, as our current president. I just can't I want to say his name anymore. If I never see or hear his name again, it'll be too soon. So what explains his appeal? What explains the appeal? 71 million people wanted him reelected. At least wanted him reelected over Joe Biden. How could that be? All the those 71 million people after seeing him in action for four years. I know I've heard others raise the same question. Just, it's confounding. Well, here are a few ideas I had, and not only I, I think others have had them. You hear about his supporters citing the economy, which... I think mainly means the stock market. They hear that the stock market, some of them have <laughs> have nothing to do with the stock market, but they hear that it's roaring along. They've been, has been roaring along for four years now. So that's what they tell themselves at least. Okay, yeah, he's been, he's been good for the economy. I think underneath that is the fear among his supporters, the fear of loss, of further loss. And, and here uh, they say that it's particularly among white men. White men seeing their position relative to others, seeing it slip and, uh, and the minority population growing, population of people of color growing in numbers, and that this is, uh, this leads to fear uh, for their future. There are single issues that people cite as reasons for having voted for him, like abortion, Israel, what he's done for Israel, I think we can't underestimate 
the power uh, of, of of his supporters identifying with him as a paragon of what they see as strength, this sort of brutish uh, Neanderthal strength and freedom. This is the this is one of their favorite words, freedom. Uh, which by which I suppose they mean his kind of uninhibitedness, uh, lack of di- lack of inhibitions, his freewheeling action and speech, uh, flouting norms, um, flaunting political incorrectness. Uh, identification. I think it it all comes down. It's such an emotional thing. So many, so many millions of his supporters are really voting against their own interests in a rash of their own rational interests. And yet, because they identify with him, they want to keep him, wanted to keep him there. A lack of education is part of it. This comes up, has always come up as a, as a, factor uh, among those who vote for him is that they're without college education and maybe even more important probably more important is the lack of awareness at how Facebook and other social media uh, how much we're affected how much we're shaped by Facebook and other social media. And I refer you all to the movie, The Social Dilemma, a documentary. It's, I think it's one of the most important, I, I think I've said this in Tasha, I'm gonna say it again. It's one of the most important uh, movies uh, I've ever seen. I urge everyone to, to uh, arm yourself with knowledge to see this. Because social media amplify these three poisons that we also have in common. Greed, hostility, and delusion. That, that's sort of the Buddhist version of original sin. Greed, hostility, and delusion. Until full enlightenment, this is what we have to contend with. So we can find reasons uh, why people voted for, so many people voted for him, but still another four years of ignoring the pandemic, denying it, exploiting it for political gain, denying science, denying climate change, using language to to divide day after day after day to incite re-electing Mara and his war elephant.
some of us on the left, the political left, were dissatisfied with Biden and maybe still remain dissatisfied with Biden. Some of us would have preferred Bernie Sanders, for example. And that opens up a, a basic difference in perspective. And that, that difference is, what do you value more, your principles or pragmatism? Principles would move us, uh, those of us who are further left, who want universal health care and, uh, and other, other things like that, would move us to, uh, to not vote for Biden or Trump. Pragmatists would see it differently. As I see it, Everything comes down to skillful means, and that's 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 Buddhism. That uh, whatever whatever views, whatever our ideology, or our beliefs, or our faith, what matters is how it plays out. Whether it's um, can be translated into skillful means. And I would contend that big change, big policy change, takes time. And that patience is a huge virtue in affecting change. You know, you can, you can have, have big change. There have been examples of big change that didn't last. Maybe there was a strong movement, an eruption of, of, of in support of a certain change, um, but then there can be these these uh, backlashes. I wanted to read just a couple bits from an article that Amala Sensei sent me from New Zealand. It's um, it's from a, uh, a, a website based in New Zealand called Newsroom, and um, the articles. This article is called "Navigating by the Stars" and by an Anne Salmond, S A L M O N D. Salmond, Anne Salmond, um, who is a distinguished professor in, in anthropology at the University of Auckland and 2013 New Zealander of the Year. And this is, uh, this is the subtitle, New Zealanders. Oh, oh, this is with regard to the re-election of the Labour, the Labour Party headed by the awesome Jacinda Ardern um, and this was that was three weeks ago that they um, 
the labor her labor party won and the subtitle is new zealander chose amity over acrimony generosity over self-serving and reality over self-deception uh, it starts with uh, this article the day after the election saying last night Jacinda Ardern and the Labour Party won an historic victory in a, in a landslide. They've been given our trust to guide us on a dangerous and unpredictable journey. In these turbulent times, Aotearoa, Aotearoa is the original, the native name for New Zealand. In these turbulent times, Aotearoa is lucky to have a leader who has vision and the capacity to inspire collective goodwill courage, and determination. And then she, a couple paragraphs later, she uh, mentions some of the same things that we're going through. Many of the old homelands are riven by conflict. The destruction of habitats has forced wild animals and human beings closer together making it easier for viruses to jump the species barrier. Like our friends and families in other countries, we are stricken by a global pandemic. She says some pundits describe Jacinda Ardern as cautious. Of course, parallel with all this, I'm thinking of Joseph Biden. Some pundits describe Jacinda Ardern as cautious, but I think they are mistaken. I think we have a leader who is bold and visionary, but understands the need to take as many New Zealanders as possible with her on the wild ride ahead. And then she goes on just to say the this this. The path of uh, Aotearoa has been laid down in this election to cherish diversity as a source of richness in decision-making and ways of living rather than conflict, to tackle poverty and inequality and take care of all New Zealanders in housing, health, education, and employment, and so forth. Now, I think in, in big, big ways, New Zealand is way ahead of us in terms of, well, let's call it evolution. Um, but I, I'd like to think that what we're seeing here is a same shift uh, that happened uh, in this election of our own. There's a lot to commend about Biden, let, let us just take, before we, we sink into gridlock and the unspeakable number of huge problems that our new president is going to be facing, let's just take a moment to celebrate uh, the character uh, of our president-elect. Frank Bruni of the New York Times has written a lot about his humility, uh, that he's a, in his word, Bruni's words, he's a paragon of stamina and stubborn optimism for a country that desperately needs one. 
In a period of great pain, he's a crucial lesson in perseverance. Bruni talks about Biden's, Bruni and others talk about Biden's huge heart, uh, his sympathies. Biden, someone who uh, has suffered terribly. He lost his uh, first wife and one of his children with her in a car crash, I guess, many years ago. And then uh, more recently, he, his son, uh, Bo, died uh, in middle age. This is, this is what I want, is someone at the, at the helm of our country, someone who has suffered. He had two brain, Biden had two brain aneurysms. Uh, this came after two previous humiliatingly unsuccessful campaigns for the Democratic nomination. I think of, I think of that uh, phrase, the better angels of our nature, uh, which is a, a choice that we made on November 3rd, uh, the, the, the phrase comes from uh, Abraham Lincoln in his first inaugural address. Uh, he, he was urging uh, his countrymen to recall and preserve what made the Union great and worth preserving. This was um, already, I think, when the Civil War was underway. This is the full quote. The mystic chords of memory will swell when again touched, as surely they will be by the better angels of our nature. We all have these better angels. Our current president probably even had some of these better angels. They just were snuffed out, seemingly. But now we have a president who responds to these better angels and is has an, an ability, I believe, an ability to bring us along as Jacinda Ardern does, does in New Zealand, ability to bring us along. Uh, in Buddhist terms, this is bringing forth our innate wisdom and compassion and virtue which is, which is always uh, something that is uh, it's never a sure thing. We can't ever rest in the idea that we have a, a compassionate self or a virtuous self or a wise self. Everything depends. What, what are we at any given moment? It's how we are using the mind. It's, a, it's an issue of, of what we're attending to. This means noticing. Uh, noticing our reactive tendencies. Noticing how our, 
our stubborn afflictions arise every day. And in Zen terms, turning the mind back to this realm of no mind, this, this realm of no self, this true self that is no self. And in, in that, in that uh, attending to what is beyond the self, then we ensure that we will continue evolving uh, to what is our birthright, this Buddha nature. So let's do that. <laughs> let's uh, let's nurture this Bodhi mind that we all have, uh, and so that we can do our part to see if we might recover from these last four years, and not just the last four years, uh, even before that. This has been a long process. Um, that, that we've been involved in. But uh, if enough of us can contribute uh, the best of us, best of our nature, uh, then we can make things change. We can do something about climate change. We can do something about the pandemic. That's, that's, that's easy on an individual basis. Wear masks, social distance, wash your hands, simple. But in addition to that, um, to honor this true nature that we outline in what we call the precepts. And I say this with uh, the Jukai ceremony coming up next week, uh, the two days after Thanksgiving. The Taking the precepts is a way of uh, affirming uh, our commitment to live up to this Buddha nature. It's uh, it's going to be a different kind of ceremony because it's going to be online, but uh, but even so, just to vocalize, to say aloud these precepts, the, the the three the three treasures, taking refuge in the three treasures, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, and then the rest of the precepts. Um, it can only only nourish our our better tendencies. All right, we'll stop now and recite the four vows. <laughs> 